If you will, turn in your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're coming back to our section of Scripture that we started studying last week as we come back to our book, a book of 1 Corinthians. Remember, we're in the first chapter in verses 20 to 31. There are sermon notes in your bulletin. We have said that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is steeped in Greek theology. We know that they are lovers of wisdom. Wisdom talks about loving wisdom. That's the essence of that word. People love wisdom. They, they want the wisdom. And um, we know when the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens right before coming to Corinth in Acts chapter 17 that he was called a babbler. The Greek philosophers looked at him as someone that was filled with nonsense. You're talking about a resurrection? You're absolutely crazy. And we believe that has seeped into the mentality at Corinth because as the Apostle Paul is dealing with divisions in the church, and there's pressure to fix it. He knows that at the heart of it, that when he says, look, I know that there's divisions among you. Look at verse 10. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you. He doesn't just say stop, okay? He doesn't just say stop. By the time we come into chapters 3 and 4, he's still going to be talking about these divisions. He's going to be realizing that the heart of it is the lack of understanding of the gospel. Now, there's not going to be a slideshow presentation this morning, but again, on the back of your sermon notes is the summary of the gospel about how man's a sinner and that the penalty of sin is death and that that penalty is not good works or being baptized. And the only answer is Jesus Christ and that his death pays the penalty that man could not pay. His resurrection proves that it was accepted by God the Father and that the only way to receive it is by faith alone. And I am so hoping that you continue to study that and to know two verses for every point because it's our responsibility to know the gospel. It is the gospel that the Apostle Paul recognizes that the church of Corinth doesn't understand and Today, here we are in the year 2016, about to be 2017. We, of all people, should be able to get that gospel down and know it. And if you might, you might want to take that sermon notes and keep that always in your Bible so that you can refer to it and maybe walk someone through it. But the Apostle Paul says in verse 17, Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech so the cross of Christ would not be made void. And he knows that there's an easy way to present the gospel. You can manipulate it. You can water it down. You can change it. And if you don't understand the gospel, you could think that the answer for making a bigger church is bring someone in like Apollos, bring someone in like Paul who could talk and be very effective and be very, very wise like the, maybe the speakers at Athens. And Paul says, no, that's not it. And on your sermon notes, we have said that the Apostle Paul is working through this, is trying to get them to understand why you need to use God's wisdom, meaning God's message, his message in presenting the gospel. And if you have your sermon notes, we said in verses 20 and 21, because only God's wisdom produces good results. Look at verses 20 and 21. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made, the fool, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And the point, again, is only God's wisdom produces good results. 
And we, of all people, have to be committed to this, knowing that we're not arrogant. I listened on my way in this morning. Um, Moody Radio had a really nice broadcast. They were using some illustration of a person going to a doctor, bitten by a snake. The doctor comes, the, the, the husband and wife come in to see the doctor, and the doctor says, you've been bitten, sir, by a snake, and name some really, really rare snake, and you're going to die in 15 minutes. And then, and, and, and the wife goes, is there anything we can do? Obviously, she wants to save her husband. And, and, and the doctor says, well, yes, there is this one pill you can take. And, and she goes, wait a second, what do you mean there's one pill? That, that's kind of arrogant of you. You know, to, one pill? You know, let's go to another doctor. The husband's like, wait a second, there's only 15 minutes. There's only one way. This, this is one pill. Well, wait a second, maybe let's be open-minded. Let's try to find other ways. You know, and it was really a nice illustration, but in the, mind, in the back of my mind, there's the reality that the pill works. You see, when the Apostle Paul is making his point in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of, wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, we of all people have to make the affirmation, you're right, all the other religions have failed. And, and, and who's, who's the one that can be the arbiter of that? Well, we've got to say from a presuppositional point, we know that. Because we have the transformed life. We've got the Spirit of God confirming us with truth. And, I, and so I, you have to believe that. Then second, as the Apostle Paul works through the second point in verses 22 to 24, he says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and, and the wisdom of God. And here's the simple point. <laughs> simple point. <laughs> I write it out. The, because the call person, the saved, will respond favorably to God's wisdom, no matter the background. Jews wanted, what did they want? Signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And the key word was to the call. The, they get it. And, and this is why you don't change the message. And I thought about the illustration that I used last week. And if you weren't here, I used this illustration, and I think it's very appropriate. Like, when I was a little boy, I liked to think that one day I could be a big spy. <laughs> and spy, one of the cute illustrations that I had from what was like um, the spies who would go out and they would try to meet somebody in a park that they did not know. And this is what I didn't emphasize last week in the illustration, is they didn't know who they were looking for. And so the man walking through the park who was the spy would come up to somebody and say, the dog with the red leash walks in the mornings. And then he would get some response that was back, like, yes, but horses like to run wild in the forest. You know, like, what is that? How is that? How? But the point was, as he's going around the spy, he's looking for someone that's going to give the right response back. That, those two are going to hook up. We go out telling people, you're a sinner. Your death, your sin cannot be paid by good works. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity from God. The person that is the called will hear that, will be energized, and they'll believe. Now, 
you, people might say, well, that deals with the concept of election. Again, it's narrow. How bigoted of you that you should say it's the one way. And, and, and who is God to bring about this doctrine of election? It just doesn't seem fair. Well, the reality of it is, and I hope some of you went back and you looked at Romans chapter 8, where that necklaces, you know, to those who are called, you know, will be, glor you know, goes through the process all the way through the glorification, is, is that we have to believe that unless nobody, unless God calls people, nobody would believe, nobody would turn to God. And, and if you go to a church and you don't explain sin accurately, you might think it's a paper cut versus the snake bite that's poisonous that will kill you. That's why I love that illustration. But we, we sometimes think, well, you know, rationally, I can think through God. I can think through concepts of, of different religions, and I can figure this out on my own. And, and we don't really understand. When we talk about there's none righteous, there's none who seek after God, Romans 3, it's incredible depth to which sin has impacted us in pursuing and coming to God. And it's humbling when you come to that realization and you say to yourself, well, how do I know if I'm elect? And I say, I don't know. I'm humble in that standpoint. I don't know who's elect and who's not. I would just tell you, believe. But in presenting the gospel, remember, this is written to the church. And the church is to have a grasp and understanding of how they're to operate. They're fighting. They're divided because they think that, 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 they, that if some speaker could be more effective on the gospel, then maybe the church would be bigger or they wouldn't have to deal with the persecution. And God is wanting them to understand, no, 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 no. And so now we come to verse 25, and the Apostle Paul says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And you can fill in the blank because God's wisdom is better and more powerful than anything man can come up with. Just, we're going to look at this one verse because we have communion this morning. And I want us to understand the significance of, of this. Again, fit in with the gospel and recognizing the times that we live. You know, um, I realize as we come, it's the Christmas season. We've got Christmas decorations up. And I don't need to belabor the point anymore. You all know we live in a culture that incredibly some people don't want you to even say Merry Christmas anymore, right? We all know that. We know that we're told not to say Merry Christmas. And, and it's amazing because the Christmas holiday is focused on the birth of Jesus Christ. And so... We're, we're, we're put pressure on us, and there are people that make us feel uncomfortable at the, at the, at the, um, at the holiday season. And Becky and I were talking, and I said to her, you know, as we're talking about being with family and certain family members that just don't, they don't like us. And it's not that we've done anything to them, it's just they know that we represent Jesus Christ. And I said to Becky, I said, you know, we, let's, let's just avoid them. Let's not go see them this year. And Becky said to me, and I wrote it down as a quote, and she said, um, listen, Michael, you did not sign up and believe in a gospel that promised the world was going to love you. In essence, we're going. <laughs> it hated Jesus. They hated Jesus, and they'll hate you. 
And, 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 and so I recognize with the gospel that there is this opposition to it and this hatred to it. I, we had a really interesting twist here. You know, again, knowing that the world doesn't like the gospel, um, Becky had her birthday yesterday, but last week we had an opportunity to celebrate it, and she really, really wanted to go see the Christmas Carol. Now, if you're familiar with the play, The Christmas Carol, it's Dickens' um, book, and it's a great story. Many of you watched the movie through the years, or you've seen plays. I've watched it ever since I've been a little kid. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's the story of Scrooge with Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. Scrooge comes and turns around. Don't want to spoil it for anybody. <laughs> but it's a play that's been especially been going on downtown Chicago, I think close to 40 years. And so tickets are like two, three hundred dollars, depending upon where you go. They sell them anywhere from like 60 to 100 or something like that through the theater, but then they sell out right away, so you can't buy them. And so Becky tells me, like, this is what I want for my birthday. <laughs> and by God's grace, when I'm checking tickets and they're two, $300, I find halfpricetickets.com or whatever, and I get four tickets for $17.50. So we all go last week, and here's my playbill. And the playbill, as I'm going through it, from the Goodwin Theater, Christmas Carol, they have a history of Christmas in it. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, it's hard. It, this, is, this, is, this, is the, this is the easy part of dealing with people who are opposition to Christmas. It's hard to say exactly when Christmas began. And it goes on to a, the history of Christmas. Zero mention of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Zero mention of Jesus Christ. And what I thought was interesting was that it does tie in that as people around the world were looking for like a holiday at the end of December, and they were honoring Saturnella, and often we talk about that this is exactly what different cultures were doing, and that's how they adapted it, and they brought in the whole Christmas um, celebration. I agree. I think, that's exact, I think that's exactly what happened. I think it's accurate, but we do know that it was tied into um, trying to divert Christians away, um, I believe, from, from um, Jesus being born. So it does say Christians weren't sure exactly the day Jesus was born, but they decided December 25th was a good day to celebrate it because it was at the same time of year as their old holidays. So it, it does at least bring that, when I alluded to the fact that it doesn't um, bring in the fact of the birth of Jesus Christ, what I was talking about it was they, they talk about it was hard to determine exactly when Christ when Christmas began, as if it was something that was always going on. That's the illusion that I got. And I, I thought, okay, I read that before the play, and then in the middle of the play, when you have Christmas present, this is what I thought was so interesting. Christmas present was played by a woman who was a, an angel, and she rebukes Scrooge in the middle of the play for his narrow, bigoted ways of his people. And it was allusion, it was alluding to Christianity being narrow and bigoted. Now, how does this tie into the gospel? And I thought to myself, it was like, wow, that's a cut. And Becky and I talked about it afterwards. You know, that's a cut where you feel, you feel bad. And for someone like me who's watched Scrooge for 40-some years, um, or The Christmas Carol, I've never seen that in any other movie or any other play 
I don't think it's in the original Dickens book where all of a sudden Christmas present puts the blame on Scrooge's people for misunderstanding, in essence, Christianity, and even though she doesn't use the word, it's the followers of the light, the followers of God, and making it narrow, and she's talking about the bigoted ways of them. And it just hurt, because the reality of it is, is the gospel is there to bring life, and it's truth, and, and for the world, they do look at it as bigoted, they do look at it as narrow, and I felt that pressure, and I know as I talk about my family, and I talk about you dealing with people at Christmas, and we deal with people with the gospel, that, they, that th there's this pressure that maybe even the church at Corinth would have felt, hey, maybe we don't tweak it, maybe we don't talk about its exclusive nature, but we've got to because the point here is God's wisdom is better and more powerful than anything that man can come up with. Look at verse 25. The word because is there to, to uh, emphasize that to the call, both Jews and Greeks, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we're talking about God's wisdom and God's power, God's insight for how things get done. So the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God is wiser. John MacArthur said this, in mentioning God's foolishness here and weaknesses, the apostle Paul is, of course, speaking from the unbeliever's point of view. Ironically and tragically, the, um, uh, the world does look at God's message as foolish, and they do look at it as weak. God's plan, and um, Paul is saying that even if God could possess any sort of foolishness, it would be wiser than man's greatest wisdom. And if God were to, able to have any weakness, it would be stronger than the greatest strength that men could muster. And we have to understand when it references the foolishness of God, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that one man dies on a hill and he provides salvation for everybody. And that seems foolish. How could through death someone attain salvation? The very thing that we're searching for is eternal life. How does a person dying? When wouldn't it be greater if a Messiah came and he was more powerful and he just he destroyed you know all the people who hated God and killed demons or did all kinds of very powerful things? Well, we now understand that Jesus had, will eventually do some of that, but his first and foremost plan was to die to pay the penalty for man's sin. And one thing that I kept hitting me as I as I looked at this and says the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. It comes back again to the fact that true salvation really does accomplish a change and a power, attains the eternal life. But I thought to myself as I went through this, and I'm thinking about how God uses a foolish message, and he uses the weakness, and, he, and, and his foolishness is wiser than man, is that God understands that we're in a fallen world today, and that death is a part of it. And would you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection. And I thought it was interesting as we're talking about the resurrection, we're talking about this is what we all want. We all want to strive for this, a new body, which is where 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about, is 
God reveals a little bit about his wisdom, his wisdom that the world uses as, deems as foolish, and that is in the sense of using death to achieve your ends in this fallen world. So pick up in verse, let me see, verse 35. The Apostle Paul will says, but some will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Like there's this question, like how do people actually get resurrected? How does that happen? From a world's perspective, they don't know. And so he says, verse 36. Now, isn't this interesting? You fool. That's pretty harsh. You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. And so there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for the stars differ from stars in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. And it's through the process of death we understand plant a seed it dies and then it becomes a plant and god is using the concept of death to bring life even in nature and we understand through the death of jesus christ we get life now it's obviously we don't die in the sense and earn our salvation and it's nothing like that but it's through a process of transformation we're going to die and we're going to go through a transformation we're going to get the new body but i thought it's interesting that god's wisdom in understanding that we live in a fallen world is using the concept of death today and the fact that it's through that that his strength and his power are seen so turn back to first corinthians chapter one and i want you to think about that truth that matter that concept in all of life I, just as a side note because i thought to myself whether it's you know i want to have a good marriage if i want to be a good parent if I want to achieve anything, whether it's like be a good student, well, be, going reverse, be a good student, I have to study. So I die to myself uh, and my party time. I want to be a good parent. So instead of me parking myself in front of the TV and ignoring my kids, I die to myself and I spend time with my children. I'd be a good husband, be a good wife, be good, good be for myself, be a good husband. I die to myself and sometimes I don't get my own way and I serve my spouse. And through the very death of who i am i achieve the very thing that i want well obviously that's epitomized in the very concept of we want salvation well our death couldn't achieve that the death of jesus christ could and it's in through that that the power of god is seen so look at verse 25 again because the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men and again this presupposes that we, of all people, understand that salvation has really come to us. And this isn't just an argument, oh, we're better than the Hindus, or we're better than the Buddhists, or any other religious group, in the sense, like, we're going to win this argument. We've got to realize, out of humility, that we truly do have that. We truly do have the better position, and we do have the transformed lives, and we do have the guarantee of heaven. And so, with that understanding, turn to 1 Corinthians 11 now, as we prepare for communion and and i want us to remember that 
as we talked about the gospel, as we dealt with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, through communion, through reflection, were to remember who exactly he was. Listen to these instructions in 1 Corinthians 11. As the Apostle Paul says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim what? The Lord's death until he comes. Communion is a time to reflect upon what Jesus did. He completely did it, and he did it through death. That was God's wisdom. The world looks at that as foolish, but we're to marvel at it. We're to appreciate it all the more when we recognize exactly who Jesus was. Is that he's God come to earth as a man, what we're celebrating this Christmas. And then you go on, and it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Now, this is an interesting concept, that through communion, there's a self-examination. And that examination where you need to make confession and you need to talk directly to God about things that you know are you're struggling or you've sinned or you've done something that needs to be brought up before the Lord, obviously, sin. And so with that in mind, as we grasp that God's power comes through the death of Jesus Christ, let us not look at his message as foolish, but embrace it and not be embarrassed by it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you as the world rejects Jesus Christ and thinks of his message as foolish that we would stay all the more confident and more affirmed with it. And I pray that, Lord, whether it is a play that could allude to the narrowness of the gospel or whether it is friends and family that think that we're narrow and bigoted, that we'll continue just to look for those that are the called hoping that one day you'll quicken them unto eternal life. But in the meantime, God, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, to be people that recognize its power and its wisdom, the wisdom that you've used in this fallen earth of how death can bring life. And as we come today to share in a time of communion, I pray, God, that we as believers in Jesus Christ will be all more affirmed and more appreciative of what Jesus has done for us. It's in his precious name we pray, amen.